Welcome to the Learning Exchange, where L&D and HR professionals can dig deep into the ever-changing landscape of online learning and talent development. Each episode, we'll explore innovations in learning and discuss best practices with special guests from inside and outside the learning world. L&D is evolving, and the Learning Exchange is here to help you keep pace. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Learning Exchange. On this episode... I want to talk about psychological safety in the workplace. Now, at its core, psychological safety is defined as the belief that you won't be punished or humiliated for speaking up with ideas, questions, concerns, or mistakes. It is a shared belief held by members of a team or of an organization that other members of that same team or organization will not embarrass, reject, or punish you for speaking up. Now, in today's incredibly divided times, it's more important than ever for us to focus on a sense of purpose and belonging, as well as mental well-being while at work. And this has been evidenced by all the conversations and the the trends that you've likely heard over the last 18 to 24 months, whether we're talking about skill development or leadership development, diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging initiatives, mental health and wellness, and more. We've been dialed in as a learning and development profession to really go past the point of improving knowledge and expanding to this focus on total human development and nurturing. Whether it's an employee that's challenging the status quo with an outdated policy or process, or it's a burst of creativity and innovation that compels an employee to share a big idea for radical transformation, we should be ensuring that we're taking every step that we can to push it past the mindset that got us to the whistleblower policy of yesterday. Now, I referenced the whistleblower policy, uh, a little bit more narrow in scope, but a very similar intent, which is effectively to protect the person who is speaking up from retaliation in any form. Now, with whistleblower policy, we tend to be very specific in that the retaliation is protected against relative to certain policies and conditions. Uh, Essentially, if you raise an issue or you signal a violation of some policy, we will not retaliate against you. This goes much bigger. This is every meeting, every interaction, creating an environment that is safe and inclusive and respectful while also encouraging engagement and creativity and collaboration. In an article that I read recently from the Center for Creative Leadership, they explored what psychological safety is and the impacts that it can have on an organization. And I'm not going to go into depth there. Um, I, you can do a quick search and find the, uh, the information there and, and read for yourself. But I did lift out a couple of things from this article and another article that I read to, uh, to really share with you. Uh, people don't feel psychologically safe after one training class. It's a process. So we think about uh, physical safety, information safety, and security right? We teach a class, we give you the five things or the 10 things to put on a checklist, and then you can know how to prevent or keep yourself safe. Um, With psychological safety, it's much bigger. 
it's much more involved and it's a much slower process. Your audience has to build trust and confidence in what you're doing and really believe that the company is fully committed to psychological safety and overall well-being. In this article, um, there was a mention of Dr. Timothy Clark, who wrote a book called The Four Stages of Psychological Safety, Defining the Path to Inclusion and Innovation. Uh, In this book, he talks about employees actually go through four different stages before they really feel free to engage in an environment that they deem psychologically safe. And um, these four stages, there is a stage one, which is called inclusion safety. And this stage just satisfies the basic human need to connect and belong. When we're in stage one, we feel safe to be ourselves. We feel that we are accepted for who we are, for our contributions, including any unique attributes and defining characteristics. That's what a lot of our efforts, I think, over the last 18 months, as we've seen a lot of DE&I programs start to really take root in organizations being much more active uh, than passive, that's helping to advance this uh, where we can all feel like we're moving into that stage one. Stage two is referred to as learner safety. And in stage two, it really satisfies our desire to learn and grow. when we can get to level two, we feel safe to really give back in the learning process. So we'll ask questions, we give feedback, we experiment, we make mistakes. So this is really what, uh, as learning and development professionals, we've really tried to help make sure that people feel like they are at this level of safety when they are in any of our training classes. We always want to encourage participation. We want to find a way to make everyone feel comfortable and safe so that they can express their thoughts, their ideas, their feedback, their challenges. Stage three is known as contributor safety. And Dr. Clark talks about how contributor safety satisfies the need to make a difference. Um, At this stage, when I feel safe, it's more than just feeling safe to exist and feeling safe to contribute in a learning environment. Stage three allows us to really harness our skills and abilities and feel very confident that we can use those to make a meaningful contribution. You'd be surprised how many people uh, don't bring all their skills, all their abilities to work because they don't feel safe. Uh, Maybe that one skill that they have that would unleash all of their creative potential is held back or reserved because it doesn't fit nice and neat in the box of their current job responsibilities. Maybe they have a very transactional, tactical job, and they really want to get to flex that creative skill or ability that they have. So we can create an opportunity where they can raise this uh, idea, this notion, uh, this recommendation that maybe we find creative ways to let them bring other things to work so that they can really contribute all the way. Stage four, uh, Dr. Clark refers to as challenger safety. And this safety really satisfies the need that we all have to try and make things better. So it's in this stage where we feel safe to speak up and challenge the status quo when we think that there might be an opportunity to change or improve. Um, So as, as I articulated what those four safety levels are, 
can you identify different parts of your population that might be in different levels of safety as it relates to the psychological safety levels? Uh, there's a good chance that you're going to be able to quickly identify some people that are in each of the buckets. So what can you do ultimately to help build confidence and trust with your employees? I think, first of all, it's worth opening the discussion at your company. Talk with your HR team, talk with your direct boss, maybe see if you can get access to the senior leadership team to understand what the appetite is for discussing psychological safety openly. Many companies may not even be aware of this topic or they just may not know it by this name. Um, so if your organization is not prepared and equipped to engage, then that's the place to start. Open the conversation and uh, be committed to it. Be, be willing to push forward. There are a ton of resources available to help you navigate the discussions and build alignment and gain commitment from your leadership team. So if you are at a place where the organization is not ready to commit, um, there's a lot of information that can help you build that business case and ultimately move the organization forward. Once you have alignment, then you can move into action. And um, I, I read several different articles that talked about how we move into action as it relates to psychological safety. Um, I found one particularly interesting from Harvard Business Review that touched on five strategies that managers can employ. And then it, it goes a bit further to talk about some new considerations as it relates to the topic of psychological safety. So five strategies that managers and all of us really can employ to spark the change in helping progress our organizations to be more psychologically safe. The first is really just to set the scene, make psychological safety a real thing and a defined priority. This means that we talk about it openly and often. We make sure that we're, we're educating people on what it is, what our commitment to it is, and ways that they can engage to help us be accountable. The second strategy is to lead by example. And this one really, um, you, we would think goes without saying, but it's critical that we lead by example. This means that we should be stepping out and facilitating everyone feeling free and comfortable to speak up. Um, and when somebody speaks up and they offer a challenge or they offer um, a contradictory perspective, or they offer some new information that is foreign to the group, be open-minded and be genuinely curious and empathetic. When somebody's brave enough to raise their hand and toss a new idea out or challenge the way things have been done or just open a discussion, um, we should really use this as an opportunity to leverage the idea of a coaching culture mindset. And that means let's be healthily curious about the information. Let's really explore, let's reward the behavior of tossing out ideas and let's let's celebrate that we are okay with receiving the information. Right? The worst thing you can have happen is somebody shares an idea and someone goes, ah, that's a stupid idea. No idea is a stupid idea. Even the ones we think or are very outlandish oftentimes can spark a conversation which leads to some very viable ideas. So we should always be celebrating and encouraging and really modeling that behavior. 
The uh, third strategy they offer is take small steps toward the change. So you don't have to do it all at once. And as I mentioned, building psychological trust takes time. Building an environment where people feel psychologically safe takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. So take some small steps, a little bit here, a little bit there. It adds up over time. And we can do this by defining and executing processes that help us establish a norm for how failure is handled. Um, Again, I think we have to be very mindful not to punish the risk-taking. I've heard at least 100 times in the last four weeks the phrase, freedom to fail fast and learn. That is the spirit of what we're talking about here. Really take some small steps, encourage people to speak up, and then celebrate when they do speak up and help people understand that we're going to try some things. We're not all perfect. Not every idea, not every process or project or initiative is going to be played out perfectly. And it is our challenge to learn from the things that don't go quite so perfect. So we shouldn't be punishing those things. We should be unpacking them and really exploring what led to the point of failure so we can adjust and learn and be better next time. The fourth strategy is to create a space for new ideas, even the most wild and outlandish ideas. Uh, As someone who really lives in this space, uh, my first thoughts are usually the biggest, most ridiculous ideas ever. And then I use that to kind of work my way back balancing the idealistic land of opportunities with the world of reality. But years ago, I learned to push past my discomfort with saying something that's really going to make people look at me with a very tilted head. Um, Instead, I embrace it. I'm happy to be that guy that throws out the really crazy idea. And that idea has purpose because it will spark discussion. And from that discussion, we will start to really lean in as a group. So create space for new ideas and celebrate them. And the fifth strategy that they offered for managers is really observe and activate. And by doing this, we should be thinking about things like how can we embrace productive conflict? Um, We should be encouraging and providing a framework for our teams to talk about things to ensure that our employees understand how to have productive debates and ensure that our managers really understand how to resolve conflict positively and productively. A lot of times when we get into this idea sharing mode, when we start having people really challenging the way things are today, uh, you're gonna get a divide in the group. Some people are going to be very uncomfortable and will either push back or stay silent. Other people are gonna be really on board. And again, they may be really vocal or they may be really silent. And then you'll have the group in the middle that has no strong feelings one way or the other. They don't wanna rock the boat. Part of why they don't wanna rock the boat is because they may not have ever been in a culture or environment that really encourages and celebrates having them move into that space of being an active contributor. It should also be noted that the workplace has changed. So we have to consider the new dynamic, which can exist when we start thinking about a hybrid or remote workforce relative to psychological safety. 
Um, in the same Harvard Business Review article, there were some fun insights that articulated how the hybrid workplace is causing us to have to think differently. Uh, the reasons that an employee may work remotely could be driven from company policy, could be driven from a whole variety of other needs. Maybe I have health issues or family considerations. Maybe there's non-work reasons that make me request or want to work remotely. So there, right, there's all sorts of factors that go into how our new workforce will look going forward. And I think um, the way this article described it in the past, we've approached the work and the non-work discussions as very separate. And in, in the in-person work environment, we can be pretty clear, just right, whatever happens inside the four walls of this building is what we talk about here. What happens out there happens out there. And over the last year, many managers have found that I think a lot of those off-limits topics like healthcare, um, childcare, health risk, comfort levels, challenges that might be faced by spouses or other family members, um, these things are all coming forward in conversations with manager discussions because it's a necessary piece of information to help us make decisions together about how to structure and schedule hybrid work. And it could be very tempting for us to think, okay, when we pull everybody back into the office, all those things go away. But that is uh, neither realistic or a sustainable long-term solution as this article outlines. Um, companies that don't really update their approach as they go forward are gonna find themselves with a whole different set of complications to navigate. Uh, because our employees have been a bit, they've been propelled into a place of assuming psychological safety in certain situations. And what I mean by that is at the very beginning of the pandemic, when the whole world was forced into a virtual or even a hybrid work environment, we were all still adjusting to having our cameras on all the time, which meant we were always adjusting to uh, trying to manage the environment, making sure that our kids and our pets didn't come in the frame or didn't impede the room while we're talking. We try to make sure that if we have um, work being done around the house or if we have to pop out for whatever reason to the coffee shop to take a call, trying to find ways to keep that virtual environment more protected. And then at a certain point, we all just got tired and we all said, you know what, we're gonna let it be the way it is. And um, the reality is if I'm working from home, there's a good chance that my spouse or my pets or my kids could come barging in the room at any minute because it's life. And we got, for the most part, we got okay with that. Um, there are still some organizations and cultures that are, are very uh, not as supportive of that free environment, but employees are pushing in that direction. And this all comes back to the central concept of, of psychological safety and being able and willing to create an environment where our employees feel safe, safe to be themselves, safe to access all of the skills and the abilities and the talents and the passions that they possess, which could be valuable to the organization, safe to contribute to change, and lastly, feeling safe to challenge the way we've always done things. 
Uh, it's going to be a journey. We are all going to be learning more about how to navigate and how to really amplify our efforts to maintain a workplace that is diverse, that is equitable, that is inclusive, that promotes a full sense of belonging while sparking creativity and collaboration and innovation and doing all of that in a psychologically safe environment where people truly believe and trust that they won't be punished or humiliated or embarrassed or rejected for speaking up with ideas or questions or concerns or mistakes. It's when we share feedback, it's when we really open the door for everyone to feel safe to contribute that some pretty spectacular things will happen. So um, I challenge each of you to take the opportunity to really investigate your current place of employment and where the appetite is relative to the topic of psychological safety. I strongly encourage opening the topic and spinning up the discussion and uh, finding a way to really mobilize a strategy that allows you to embed the practice into your learning activities. It's a good place to start. Um, it's a place where we're already building some trust and we're already moving the needle as it relates to safety. Um, remember that inclusion safety and that learner safety, those two levels are stages that uh, we as learning and development professionals really, I think, master 90% of the time in our interactions. Uh, so let's use our platform to push it further and help the organization level up. Mm-hmm.